Welcome to the Real Wolf Record Club. My name is Joe. I am your host. And with me, as always, is the Real Wolf Record Club panel. Hannah, Ben, but not Ryan tonight. We have actually a little bit of news. Uh, our friend Ryan, the stat man, the stat man numbers guy, Ryan and his lovely bride, Stephanie, had a baby last week. Little baby boy. So Ryan is not with us. Um, he said, there is no way I'm going to be able to wrap my head around Hounds of Love and Kate Bush. Well, he's got baby brain. And that is the album we are talking about today. We have such a great show. Uh, <laughs> that album, which our dear friend, our sleep-deprived sleep friend, Ryan, say that three times fast, sleep-deprived friend, Ryan, cannot begin to wrap his head around, is Kate Bush's Hounds of Love an absolutely uh, a monster of an album that has inspired generations of artists, a generation of musicians. And maybe, I, I don't know, this might be the earliest Real Wolf Record Club bold claim uh, that I've made on any episode. But uh, I would say this might be the most influential album to come out of the 80s. I, there I said it. Might be the most. Just because of what it is. It's it's artsy. Artsy sounds like an insult. It's avant-garde. That's better. Uh, it's an album with four of the first five songs charted. Uh, the second side of which is like something out of Pink Floyd. It's called the ninth, the ninth wave, I think based on a Tennyson poem. It's a mini concept album. Um, it's my first without giving away too much. My first experience with Kate Bush was the song Wuthering Heights, the 1978 single. Um, beyond that, I didn't know a lot about Kate Bush. Um, but as I spent time with this record and her body of work, I, I, I was, I was actually really, really surprised at how prolific she was. Uh, you watch her music videos, you'll see what I'm talking about. You read some of the stories uh, and the backstories and, and her. If you want to look at the internet through a time capsule, go find her fan club website. It's amazing. <laughs> there are a lot of very dedicated fans and a lot of um, cool insights to Kate Bush. She's multifaceted, multi-talented, and very prolific. And, and who better? Who better? Pivoting here. Who better to discuss that? that artist and that record uh, than someone who is also multifaceted, multi-talented in her own right. Someone who has released her own albums, played and toured regularly with many, I'm just going to say it, your favorite bands. Uh, someone who's played with Grace Potter and Iron Wine. Someone who I heard, and I was just like so in, and Ben and Hannah, you're not going to know where I'm going with this. She opened for the Rolling Stones. That's so sick. Rolling Stones. Uh, someone who's traveled the world playing music, but also... <laughs> This is the first time this statement will be said. Has also been to the Arctic to play uh, folk music with Russian peasants and turn it all somehow into quilts. Joining the club today is, of course, the wonderful Eliza Hardy-Jones. Kate, Kate Bush and Eliza Hardy-Jones. Uh, that, I'm going to just put this into the ether right now. That would be a show worth catching. I am not worthy. Queen Kate rules all. <laughs> I, I was I was hoping to bait you into that a little bit. Um, I, I don't know. Eliza, you know everybody. You could maybe pull some strings and get a second uh, tour going for Kate Bush. Second or third, maybe. Um, but, but that's what we're talking about here on today's show. Obviously, Eliza Hardy-Jones, very talented um, and, and very diverse in her talents. And also Kate Bush, who just, we're going to begin to wrap our heads around the enigma, the talent that is Kate Bush. Bush, and we're going to do it. Uh, we're going to stop in with the Wordner and talk about some of the lyrics on the album. We're going to stop in with Ben, as we always do, to put it 
on a playlist. And of course, give this show, this album, our ranking of bury it, borrow it, buy it or buy it again. That's how we do it here on the Real Wolf Record Club. Be sure to join in the conversation of this album and all our albums. Go to realwolfrecordclub.com where you can find information about upcoming shows, guests. You can even buy merch. I love saying that. I always wanted to be a merch guy. I feel like you get a lot of weird requests. Do you have this in a triple X? Yeah, I do. I got it. Um, you can buy merch. You can follow us at Instagram. Don't make that face. That's what those guys have to deal with all day. Uh, follow I've us on. I've been a merch guy. It's not fun. <laughs> <laughs> ah, perfect. Eliza bailing me out again. Um, Instagram at Real Wolf Record Club. Twitter at Real Wolf RC, and of course our website Real Wolf Record Club dot com. But before all that, before we talk to our friend Eliza, I, I want to ask our panel uh, a little bit about this record. Um, I, as I've said, you know, my bias in this is that. I didn't, I mean, I was two years old when this album came out, so I don't, I didn't know a lot of, of Kate Bush. I didn't know a whole lot about, um, much, much eighties music because by the time I was coming of age, I was too into other stuff, indie rap and indie, indie hardcore and punk and that kind of stuff. Um, Hannah, Ben, Kate Bush, you hear this name, you hear Hounds of Love. Do you guys have any familiarity with it? And if so, what is it? If somebody, if, if Kate Bush was playing and somebody told me this is Kate Bush, I would say I agree. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I came came to this album from. Um, I really had virtually no experience. I couldn't have told you if something was a Kate Bush song or not. Um, I had really no expectations outside of this was a pop album released in 1985. So I, you know, put on some 1985 Assumption hats and uh, yeah, wearing multiple hats. How about that? Uh, I couldn't have been more of a blank slate, to be honest. Interesting. Hannah, you're, you're a much better uh, music aficionado than all of us. Um, what was your experience or what did you know of Kate Bush? Um, I knew who she was. And when I found out that's what we were, that's who we were going to listen to. I was like, well, I, I think I know some Kate Bush, but then when I sort of looked into it, I was like, I actually don't know if I've ever <laughs> actively listened to her before. Poor Kate. I She's... was I was convinced. I was like, oh yeah, I've I've definitely heard some of her songs. And then I was like, I don't know if I have. But I was like, well, it's 80s. I'm like, I like 80s. So like this should be pretty good, right? So I just kind of came into it assuming I'm like, yeah, I think this will be my thing. And and that's and that's what I, I love that the, the setup obviously intentional in the question because I came in with my own bias of ah it's the eighties it'll be something just like Ben said put on your your bias hat um, hats. hats plural hats. plural <laughs> but but the pop inclinations when you if you just if you didn't listen and you just looked up kind of of this a little bit of Kate Bush in the album you you would get widely uh, not divergent divergence of opinion in terms of quality but in terms of what people take from it. Some people say, oh, she's the pop queen. And some people say, oh my gosh, she's so avant-garde and all the different things. And and then you read about a song like Wuthering Heights and you're like, wow, that's a cool single. And it's, what's it about? It's actually about Wuthering Heights and her interpretation for, 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 vocally and lyrically of the Emily Bronte novel, literally just about Wuthering Heights. And it's amazing. So you could go a lot of different ways, but I think here at the Real Wolf Record Club, one of the things we like people to do is literally just close the laptop, put the phone down. Well, unless you're streaming it, in which case, open up your streaming service and listen to the music. 
give it a shot, digest it, listen to it start to finish, or do as I do. And you start to finish, and then you hit shuffle, and then you do it again, and repeat, and absorb it, and let it hit you. And I know, I can see, you. this is a audio-only podcast, and Eliza's head just exploded, because she's like, don't hit shuffle, you You moron. can't shuffle. There's no <laughs> shuffling. <laughs> Not on this album, and we will see why. Um, it did make for the most coherent <laughs> interpretation after a few times. But uh, the point is to get familiar with the music, because you could read all day about people's interpretations until you have your own. And the only way you get your own is by listening to the music. And so with that, I don't want to delay it. I want to get into it because you can already hear um, what a strong, a forceful opinion that Eliza Hardy Jones has on Kate Bush. And we are so happy that she is here. So with that, let's turn to our guest for today's show, the wonderful, the creative, the creative, the talented Eliza Hardy Jones. Welcome to the Real Wolf Record Club, Eliza. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> Um, now, before the show, Eliza, you and I were talking about this record, um, and you described it as your gateway to Kate Bush, uh, which is a bit like saying, um, I don't know, like a like a good Syrah is a gateway into good red wine, um, something like that. <laughs> like usually, you a gateway know the is old into, saying. You know the old saying. <laughs> it's, you know it's, the old. <laughs> but the gateway, like the gateway, like I, it just struck me as like. It seems like this album was your way into all of Kate Bush. Like you just became a super fan because of it. I'm absolutely. And I would say that Kate Bush, like, you know, Hounds of Love was my gateway to Kate Bush. And Kate Bush was my gateway to pop music. Like if there, if I don't like Kate Bush, I don't like Party in the USA. I don't like... <laughs> modern top 40 pop music without Kate Bush. Kate Bush was like my spirit guide who was like, listen, girl, let it in. You want to dance? I want to dance. Put on Whitney Houston. Well, and it's <laughs> yes, Kate. Yes, I, I want to dance with somebody dance. too. <laughs> I want to dance with somebody. Well, that's and that's fascinating because I know, um, you know, we also talked a little bit about you. You have, uh, you had kind of an interesting musical, um, I don't want to say journey. Everything's a journey these days, but maybe it's a journey. Like you would listen to classical, classic music for how long in your life before you got into pop music. Tell me about that. I mean, I uh, routinely, it's sort of the butt of, of everybody's joke that, so I grew up in the eighties and nineties. It's all, I had. I listened to none of it until later. So it's like people like know all the lyrics to, you know, new kids on the block. And I'm like, I've never heard that before. I basically only listened to classical music, American folk music, and like doo-wop until I was in high school. Mm. <laughs> that was just my, I wanted to be a classical pianist. I loved classical music. That is like, you know, the first tape I ever bought with my own money was Classical Music Hit Parade. I was really excited <laughs> about that. Like, I just, that is my world. I come from a family of folk musicians. So I was sort of surrounded by um, Appalachian folk music and Russian folk music. Um, and then I listened to Philadelphia Oldies 98, Street Corner Sundays. Get my, mm. you know, flamingos, pretenders, ink spots. I just like, that was the music that I gravitated to. 
And it wasn't until I have an older, this I think is an experience a lot of us have. I had an older brother who was cooler than me. Um, he was in a punk rock band. Oh, wow. So he like brought home, you know, new music that I'd never heard of before and kind of opened me to that. But again, like all of this is like, I feel like a lot of music lovers started in the center and then made their way to the fringe. I started on the fringe and then made my way to the center. Like I was in my 30s before I was like, you know that Miley Cyrus, she's got it. <laughs> He's incredible. Like I'm like a fully grown middle-aged woman before I'm like, I do want to party in the U.S. And by then all the kids who are listening to her are like, okay, grandma. Yeah, that's like 10 I years know, old. I know, I know. Like Miley Cyrus is like 10 years ago. Yeah, I can't, the, the new, new pop, I am not there yet. I'm, I'll get there in 15 years. So, I mean, but at that, you said you didn't, you didn't move toward, make that move towards the center until you were in high school what was what was the first thing that you consciously got into beyond that on your own you're at that point you've moved from the fringe to the center what what did you choose to get into and why um i think like that first move for me was joni mitchell cat stevens neil young that sort of like the band like songwriter songwriters people who were telling stories and who were sort of probing into, and this is very much a Kate Bush thing too. It's like probing into the human experience and that we're seeking for something and that we're sort of like taking me along with them. That was my, that was my first like mainstream music that I was super into. It was just like, oh my gosh, Neil Young. Which again, like, is that mainstream? I don't know. It's mainstream. Everybody's heard Neil Young. Every, everyone's oh, yeah. heard Neil Young. He's yeah. he's that's a safe mainstream choice. That's yes. A, yeah, safe mainstream choice. Yeah. Um, now you were you were playing piano at this time. Um, were you? Were there other instruments you were getting into? I know you play several instruments, but what what what? How did that intertwine? You know, listening and playing. It seems like you being able to play as a pianist was was kind of driving your musical choices, or is, was that not the case? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, like all growing up, I piano was my focus. I wanted to be a classical pianist. That was what I sort of poured myself into when I was um, in college. I did like a senior project, and I went down and I lived with my grandmother, and she lives in uh, Scottsville, Virginia, or she lived in Scottsville, Virginia on the James River. She had this sort of music school where she essentially just like taught fiddle music. And I had taught fiddle music with her ever since I was a kid, she would do workshops. But I went and like officially was like, I'm gonna teach at grandma's music school. And she was like, you gotta teach this guitar lesson to this guy. And I was like, I don't play guitar. And she was like, here's a G chord. Now you play guitar and teach guitar lesson. This guy is completely insane. He like, he was completely insane. He was like, God is talking to me. We're getting married. And I was like, grandma, why did you do that? And she was like, I can't handle him. So. Grandma, yeah, he's not I, listening. He's not listening. <laughs> Just tell him to teach him how to play Groundhog. Um, so I taught him how to play Groundhog. So I learned guitar. And then I picked up some mandolin. Um, and, you know, those are the instruments that, like, I can play. I can play the guitar and the mandolin. I'm good at the piano. And I, and I love to sing. I've always been a singer, so... I've uh, I mentioned this before on a previous episode. Um, I have such an affinity and interest and curiosity about people who are musically inclined because as much as I love music and as much as I write songs about things like the neighbor's dog and 
doing dishes and all different goofy things. I am not uh, musically inclined. Uh, and I say that because I knew from a very young age that I couldn't sing very well. So I'm curious on the other side of things, um, <laughs> on the other side of things, when did you figure out that, and not, not in an arrogance type of way, but just an, as an identity that, hey, this is something I can do. I can sing, I can play, I can do it. I, <laughs> I don't have like a first memory. I have all like <laughs> the stories of like, forcing my parents to watch me reenact all of anything goes like wow. i was constantly i would like write musicals and make my brother hold flashlights and point them at me while i like put on a bathing suit and like did shows i, I grew up in west philadelphia and we have a lot of porches i would do these like porch shows where i'd like puppets and i'd be in a bathing suit and i was dancing my brother's doing the lights and i'm like singing my song so I was always really into it. It was always exactly what I wanted to do. Um, decide anything. <laughs> Easter egg hunt for our listeners who are familiar with episode, I think it's three, uh, Paviel French, one of our guests. Go back and compare notes. Eliza Hardy-Jones and uh, Paviel French both sounded like they annoyed their neighbors and family quite a bit. Yes. <laughs> and here we are. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, that, that sheds a little bit of light. Uh, you, you kind of recognize that you just always enjoyed doing it. It was always a part of you. What, I, I know the history, a little bit of your bands and, and your musician. When did you first find yourself in a situation where, where you could record a song, play a song, perform lives, wherever it might be? Yeah, um, it was my my high school best friend, Brandon Beaver. Um, I went to college. When I graduated from college, I moved into this warehouse in West Philly. And this is a very West Philly thing. And there's a bunch <laughs> of like dilapidated built. Like my room, literally the brick walls were separating and I could like see the outdoors. I just sleep with like a winter hat on. It was so cold. <laughs> Wind was just like blowing on my face as it was falling down around us. So we lived in this like, you know, artsy warehouse. Um, a bunch of my best friends from high school and Brandon Beaver, who was my best friend. And I just started like, he was in an avant-garde performance art um, noise band called New Planet Make a Rising. And, you know, had these other more melodic songs. And he and I were like, oh, well, we'll do like our little side project. And so we wrote this little collection of songs and in this warehouse, we had like a little recording set up. So we made little, you know, demo recordings of them. And we were like, this is cool. We should totally, and again, like for me, it was like, I played classic, like at that point I was just like, I'm gonna really, you know, buckle down and work on my audition for getting a master's in piano performance. And then I was like, or oh, I'll just be in a rock band. And so I just <laughs> was in a rock band instead with my best friend. <laughs> but you write these demos, you write these songs. And I mean, is somebody else validating you a little bit? I mean, like, hey, you guys could play at that thing. Why don't you do that? Yeah, um, we... <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about Buried funny. Beds, by the way, right? Yes, we are okay. talking about the band Buried Beds. Um, yeah, we like... Because this is like 2002, a long time ago. So like, this is a crazy thing to say, pre-internet. Like I was, you know, like we're dialing up. We're dialing up on the, we're posting flyers. We had a friend who pressed CDRs. So we like got some CDRs pressed. I have like stickers that I stuck onto my CDRs. Oh, oh yeah. And I like went around and there's, um, 
a venue in Philadelphia called The Fire. And at the time it was booked by this guy, Derek Dorsey, who's sort of a, a legendary Philadelphia promoter who championed such acts as Dr. Dog and Kurt Von Warnick. So he gave us mm. our first show at The Fire, which is this like, you know, tiny little dive bar. Um, Do you people liked it <laughs> do you remember i remember distinctly a time when uh there was a badge of honor it was a little bit of a badge of honor when you go to a show and i know the clubs you're talking about and you go to a show and you'd buy the cd and you'd pick it up and you'd open it because it wouldn't be sealed because why would it be and you'd open it up <laughs> in the little thin jewel case and you'd pick up the disc and you would look on the back side if it was blue secretly as much as you liked that band in your head you were like oh well but if it was silver, you were like, dude, this is legit. <laughs> like, I totally I remember that no badge. I have no idea of... what you're talking about. I really? didn't know there was a difference. If they were rewritable or not. Yes. Like if they were the blue, <laughs> you'd be like, these guys just did it in their house. Whereas yeah. if the silver, you were like, they are somewhere at a big studio pressing this shit out all day. This is a big band. These guys are legit. Yeah, we did it at our house. We were blue CDs. I didn't know there was a difference. Bluebacks. Yep. Definitely a blueback. Yeah. Everybody could tell because, like, I was, like, you know, stitching little CD cases together and, like, handwriting notes inside everything. So everybody knew it was a DIY. Somewhere. And then, and then comes along then comes along this whole idea of, like, the sound quality. But, I, I mean, you could be like, oh, you can hear how good this is. It's on the silver. It's good. Yeah. It's oh, solid. it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> Which, by the way, you mentioned stitching. Uh, Buried Beds has an album cover mm-hmm. that is beautiful. How did that – is that – did you do that? I did do that. Oh, yeah. And yeah. that, I mean, that is just something if you go out, is, is that, that's the first record? Refresh me. It's actually the third record, but it's the first one that we allowed to be on the internet. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> it is this beautiful scene. And I look at it and it's, it's like, it's like a kind of a, not a far, um, how would you describe this album cover for those who might not have seen it? Um, for those of you familiar with, south american folk art it is an arpiera which is a a folk art tradition of of south america so i spent um a long time in peru i I lived in peru for like six months and fell in love with these arpieras which is uh, a folk style it's sort of a three-dimensional quilted landscape Mm. and so when we wrote this album tremble the sails um so much of it was sort of like we were going into all of these sort of metaphysical and wild fairy tale, you know, like sort of fairy tale stories. And so I decided to make an RPR with all of the characters from all of the songs. So it's the sort of three dimensional quilted landscapes. <laughs> I love the pairing of that answer with my previous discussion about the sonic difference between silver and blue <laughs> CDs from the early two thousands. Um, <laughs> where my detail was i'm spending like a thousand hours like hand stitching little like lettuces and then i'm like i don't know printed at home oh i love it um so but i mean you so you've talked a little bit obviously you're very well traveled um you, you know, musically you've done your work but you've also it's not just like you're playing in these bands you've also um you were in a show and i think it actually came through the twin cities area um lashed but not leashed tell me about that 
Last but not least, uh, we did a run at the Guthrie, which was really, really fun. Um, I had so it was a highlight of my of my many fun experiences that I've had. So in Philadelphia, there is a legendary king of drag queens, uh, Martha Graham Cracker, um, who is the <laughs> drag persona of Dido Van Rygersburg, who is a very, very like prolific and incredible um actor he started a theater company in philadelphia called the pig iron theater company which is at the forefront of experimental theater he's won all types of awards and he's just incredible and he started this character martha graham cracker he is maybe the most incredible singer i've ever sung with in my entire life like he's mm. just his voice is amazing he goes by martha graham cracker because he studied at the martha graham dance company so he oh. has a background in modern dance so he is also a performance artist mm -hmm. singer actor playwright and um maybe six years ago he got a development grant from the kimmel center which is where all of our classical music stuff happens to just write anything he wanted and so he assembled this little dream team um <coughs> including me and our friend david sweeney who is johnny showcase who was on america's got talent this year and our friend um, Vincent Federici. And we just basically had two weeks at the Kimmel Center in a rehearsal space with a piano and they were like, write whatever you want. And so we wrote this musical for Martha Graham Cracker called Lashed But Not Leashed. So it's just a drag musical <laughs> for Martha. It was so fun. Um, and we were able to put it on at Joe's Pub at the Public Theater in New York and at the Guthrie in, in Minneapolis. And hopefully we'll put it on again. We have recorded the album after that. So that's out in the world. Very, very fun. It took me, I had to say it <clears throat> out loud several times. I was like, lash but not leashed. Wow, that's uh, interesting. Lashes and leashed. Oh, oh lashed but not leashed. Lash but not leashed. Got it. Yes, I love yes. that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so... Uh, Speaking of that, though, I mean, that that gives another dimension to kind of your work instead of, re, you know, just recording songs, playing songs. You're also writing music that others might perform and that you might perform with them. Um, we've talked a little bit. You've played with, you know, Iron and Wine and Grace Potter and the War on Drugs and other groups. Is, is there a is there a medium as an artist that you prefer? Do you like playing your own stuff? Do you like helping others cre create their own Part. Is there is there some way you prefer or you enjoy the most? I enjoy it all. Um, I I think part of the like tradition of being a classical musician is that you are expressing the truth of who you are through somebody else's composition, and I think that has really helped me as a side person to not feel like oh I have to like subvert my humanity or like pretend like I'm not who I am and like fit into this other mold. I always feel like, you know, when I'm playing with these different groups and, you know, the distance between Grace Potter and Iron and Wine and the War on Drugs, it's a big distance. Those are three very different <laughs> groups of people. I'm me in all of those bands. I'm not like pretending, I'm not like pretending to be somebody else. So that's very fun. And it's not work because everybody else is doing the, like I just they just tell me when to show up and I get to just like sing and dance and it's amazing <laughs> um, when I'm writing and performing my own music it's certainly you know I think it's more fulfilling to my artistic spirit and my soul to feel like I'm I'm doing my own thing and I'm sort of plumbing my own depths and really getting to tell my own stories but it's also an incredible amount of work I have to 
book the shows and press the CDs and find the mastering engineer and get it to the publicist, you know, like all of that stuff. And I don't like the business of art. I like the art of art. And the truth is, is that all artists are business people. You have to, if you're going to be an artist, you're running your own business and your business is you. And I don't love that part of it. So it sort of, the, it allows me this really nice balance of like, I get to just make art all of the time. And sometimes I have to do a little bit of the business, but the payoff is that it's mine. And then I just get to, you know, relax and go to Europe and have the war on drugs booking agent do everything. And I don't have to worry about it. I just show up and do it. It's amazing. <laughs> um, you know, but you're in the middle of that tour. You mentioned the war on drugs going to Europe. You're in the middle of that um, tour with them. And they're, they're a band that's known for their, I guess I'd call it layers in their songs that they, they have these players, um, you know, with them, accompany them live because of the layers that need to be played, the parts that need to be played. And, and listeners, if you haven't caught the war on drugs live with Liza, I will tell you, I was lucky enough to see that tour this year. It, you can definitely hear parts. You can look up and see, Hey, I can hear that. I can hear the part that Eliza's playing. Is there a song of theirs that you enjoy playing on more than others? And, and there, <laughs> there are some that are 10 minutes long and there are some that are much shorter. Is there, is there one you enjoy playing uh, with the most? No, it's that I, I never, like, I'm not a good favorites um, person. <laughs> I think maybe because I'm insane and my spirit is always like, blah, 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 blah. so, you know, night to night, there'll be a night where I'm like, you know, this version of this song, mm -hmm. you know, nearly brought me to tears or nearly brought me to like jubilant elation. And then the next night it's some other song. And I think that's, um, the fun of being on a long tour, you know, when you're, when you're in a tour cycle, you're going to play these songs for a year, a year and a half. And you reach this point where like, I don't know that the audience can tell the difference night to night, but we really are on this, like, you're so dialed in. <clears throat> There's so much to discover and so much new that happens every night for us that it's like, you know, night to night, it's like, this is the best song that I've ever heard. And then the next <laughs> night you're like, I hate that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, well, I, you know, I, I would say that there are bands where you might not know the difference. The War on Drugs, I think, are quickly becoming one of those bands where people are listening, paying attention to the different versions. Um, I've heard that Charlie Hall is the heart and soul of the band um, and that he might have he, he connected you with with Grace Potter. Tell me about that. Um, Char Charlie Hall is a dear friend of mine. Um I've known all of the guys for about 15 years. The, the bass player was the bass player in Buried Beds. And then he had a, he has a solo project called Nightlands and I played in Nightlands. Um, and Anthony played in Nightlands. That's how Anthony Lamarca became part of the War on Drugs. So it's all sort of this like circle of friends. I sing in Charlie's choir that he runs out of his house. I taught piano lessons to his kid. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, it's, we are a family and we have been growing together as young adults and adults for for 15 years or so and i was you know i had come to the end of a of a job and was hanging out with charlie and said like you know if you hear of something you know keep me in mind and then he was all you know the next week was out having cocktails with grace potter and was like I got the lady for you. He <laughs> called me at like 3 a.m. He was like, I got you a job. I was like, do I want a job? And he was like, oh, at 3 a.m.? Yeah. Like, you definitely want. And then, you know, a couple weeks later, I was 
out in LA with Grace. So, um, you know, he, he has been wonderful about, he in general is wonderful about connecting everybody with everybody. It is just like his great talent in life is his endless amounts of energy that he can give to all people at all times. He is just so giving of spirit. Um, he's, he's lovely, but all of the guys in the war on drugs are just like beautiful, kind, open hearted. Our, our hope actually, you know, uh, we've got a surprise for you. We were going to ask you to play favorites later. No, uh, <laughs> <laughs> rank from first to worst. No, um, I, that's, and that's, I think, I think that's one of the things, especially as we talk about a world in which, I mean, gosh, live music. God bless uh, Dana Frank at First Avenue in the Twin Cities for really lobbying to get bills passed to help fund these clubs and have live music come back to life. It's a thing we've been missing. And and I think one of the things from the fans' perspective and uh, listeners uh, <laughs> will probably know what I'm talking about is when you miss hearing who these people are and you miss hearing from them, whether it be releases or shows or, or whatever it might be. And so to hear that there's these relationships that develop and one thing leads to another and that people are out still creating, because unfortunately we live in a world where artists need to need to eat too. And so we have to, they have to learn to create in a way that helps them, you know, keep a roof over their head. So it's, um, I love hearing that anyways. Uh, speaking of pandemics, you've been touring, uh, you've toured actually around the globe, several uh, different, several different tours with different groups. Um, what is it like touring during a pandemic? I'm assuming, I think most of us think uh, all musicians either live in vans under an overpass near the barf club um, <laughs> or couch surf from one stoner apartment to the next or stay in the poshest of posh hotel in every city and destroy something. So which is it for Eliza Hardy Jones while on tour during a pandemic? <laughs> Um, well, luckily, I now get to tour where I sleep in a hotel bed at night, which is very Fabulous. exciting. I mean, well, I should say most nights we do tour in tour buses. So most nights mm -hmm. I'm sleeping while the bus is driving. Um, but on days off, I get to sleep in a hotel room. But for many, many years, I slept. I would like announce from stage, if anybody wants me to make them <laughs> breakfast, can I sleep at your house tonight? <laughs> and I would sleep underneath somebody's kitchen table. <laughs> so, um, I, which I actually think is really important. I think all musicians should have to like do the, do several years of van touring to like, before you're allowed to like level up into the tour bus. But it is nice to now be, you know, as I get older and want more sleep than four hours underneath somebody's kitchen table <laughs> that I can get it. Um, but it's been, I mean, being off of the road was really hard for me because I love touring um, and it's essentially what I've been doing for the last decade, pretty much full time. So um, it was a big adjustment for me to like be at home and, and not be on the road. So um being able to get back to touring and to be touring with people who I love so much. I was able to do a, a short little tour with Japanese breakfast. And then I was out with Grace Potter and now I'm with the guys in the war on drugs and all three of those groups of people are dear friends and feel like family. And so it's been amazing to be back on the road, despite all of the insane sort of new COVID precautions that we have to do. I'll take it. I'll take all of it. <laughs> mm. 
I, and my next question was going to be about quilting. Um, I, you just, you, you just sung us off into the land of inspiration. I love that. <laughs> uh, but, but truly let's, let's shift gears a little bit because I love hearing that. And I think there's something also inspiring about your story um, as it relates to yes, listener quilts. You are not only a master quilter, but let me check my notes here. You have turned the folk songs of Russian peasant women into quilts. Let's unpack that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, what I did was um, five years ago, I put out a solo album and I, you know, put it out into the world. And, a, and an amazing uh, Russian artist named Daria Orlova wrote me and said, I found your music on Russian Facebook. Can I talk to you? And I was like, sounds awesome. Uh, and she was putting together this painting exhibition and it was about shadows and I wrote about shadows and talked about shadows and she was like well I really want to put you in touch with the Katerina who runs the Arctic Art Institute and so then I you know sat in the front cab of the tour bus at 6 a.m and and had this great conversation with a Katerina about the Arctic and the kind of art that is happening there and the kind of um, traditions that make that place so amazing. And she said, well, if you come up with an idea, we will host a residency for you. Um, so my idea that I came it up got with serious was fast. I travel, I, yeah, she was just like, come up with something cool and you can come here, it'll be amazing. And I was like, yeah, I wanna go to the Russian Arctic. Who goes to the Russian Arctic? Right. I'm from Philadelphia. <laughs> Um, it was it was exciting. And so my idea was that I would sort of pull together all these things that we had been talking about, about women's work and textile traditions and handwork and folk songs and my connection to, to Russian folk music and in my connection to American folk music. And so my project is that I traveled all around the American South and the Russian North and I interviewed women. I would call them peasants. They're just modern women of, of, of all kinds of you know, backgrounds and traditions. Um, and from the American South and the Russian Arctic, they told me stories, they sang me songs. I invented a way of transcribing music into color and shape. And then I made these quilts. So I have this big collection of quilts that, um, that are exact transcriptions of these beautiful traditions um, from the American South and the Russian North. It's so fun. <laughs> And if you have not seen these, they are um, they are absolutely gorgeous. And my my Eliza and I had talked about this before. My mom uh, has a lot of skill with uh, upholstery and and sewing and things like that. And one of my favorite possessions is this duck quilt she made me. And so then I'm looking at Eliza's these quilts, and I'm like, gosh, this is this is amazing. This is so cool. And <laughs> do yourself a favor, listener. Um, there is a place called the International Quilt Museum. Isn't, is that an Omaha or Lincoln? Is that where it is? Lincoln. Lincoln. And there is an interview. And Eliza, I, I you are such a talent and you are definitely in the rock scene. But you were like, you were like Slash or Axl Rose to the interviewer from the International Quilt Museum. <laughs> like, wow, we've got a real rock star with us, Eliza Hardy Jones. <laughs> it, it is worth watching. It's so interesting to see kind of the description of the background uh, of this project with the International Quilt Museum. So definitely, definitely check that out. Um, what what happens to the quilts when you create them? Where do they go? Uh, well, they went to the International Quilt Museum, actually. <laughs> 
Um, I created them. Honestly, this is like, you know, like my, like my story of, of success. When I created this project, I was like, my goal is to make this collection of work mm -hmm. and to be able to spend this time with these women and then to convince somebody at the International Quilt Museum to let me have a show there. And I got to have a show there. Oh. And I like nearly like when they wrote and were like, we'd love to talk to you about, you know, bringing your collection here. Cause I had been exhibiting it at um, quilt shows and, and guilds and doing lectures. Mm -hmm. I literally like jumped on my table. Like I was Tom Cruise and was like, you know, oh. I was like, what's happening. I was like, I'm going to Lincoln, you know? <laughs> um, so yeah, that's where they live. They live, uh, they live at the quilt museum. Oh. <laughs> awesome. That is, that is so great. And I, and I love that part about music too, that, you know, you can music or, or quilting or art in general, that giving voice, to another person, maybe through another lens or another, or, or, or whatever it is. I mean, in this case, you've given voice to so many people. And I just think that's, that's such a cool thing. It can live in, hopefully in perpetuity at the International Quilt Museum. But that is such a cool story. And Kate Bush, if you're listening and you want to, you want to hitch your wagon to somebody, uh, Eliza Hardy Jones would be a great, great tour partner. Um, and with that, I think it's time. Here on The Real Wolf Record Club, we do something called Ched Talk. So before we turn to Hounds of Love by Kate Bush with our friend and guest, Eliza Hardy-Jones, let's turn to Ched Talk. Eliza, are you ready to play Ched Talk? I am ready. And uh, tell us, who are you playing for today? You've got a charity uh, that you are you are especially fond of. Today I am playing for the Social Justice Sewing Academy, which is um, relevant to my interests as a quilter. Um, Social Justice Sewing Academy was started by Sarah Trail in California. She is a brilliant, amazing, inspiring, incredible young woman who essentially goes into public schools and teaches workshops to kids um, and gets them to harness their voice um, and to talk about what is most pressing to their communities, um, whether it be environmental justice, racial justice, gender violence, trans identity, and to be able to give them the tools to really think deeply about those issues that matter to them, and then gives them the tools to express themselves through these quilting workshops. So these kids all um, over get to make these panels and then she partners with quilt volunteers. So I was a, a volunteer. She sends it to professional sewists who will applique, finish off the quilts and then they display the quilts. She has a, also something called the, um, so the Remembrance Project where they make quilts for um, folks who have been victims of gun violence and often gifts those quilts back to the families but make these really like incredibly impactful um, statement pieces about, you know, what we are dealing with in, in America. The, the website is sjsacademy.org, I believe. It looks like the right place. Definitely check them out. That's a great, great uh, place to support and, and donate your charitable dollars. So, all right, with that, Eliza Hardy-Jones, are you ready to play Ched Talk? Ched Talk, bring it on. <laughs> First question. You've toured extensively around the world. And even through our own backyard here in the Real Wolf Record Club, least attractive accent: Wisconsin <laughs> or Philadelphia? 
Philadelphia's accent is the best accent. It's so round and beautiful. <laughs> Um, so yeah, Philadelphia wins. Wisconsin loses. Oof. Oof. <laughs> um, the, the second side of the Kate Bush record we are talking about today, Hounds of Love, is called The Ninth Wave. And it's terrifying to listen to. What's one thing you're afraid of? Oh, <laughs> I am really afraid of boats and of being shipwrecked <laughs> and the ninth wave is about being shipwrecked and dying in the water it's like this this terrifying nightmare was written for me uh, <laughs> uh for um well for those of you that don't you can't see what's happened that was the first spit take here on the real wolf record club <laughs> I did, I did not know that that <laughs> was your fear. It. That is it fabulous. It really is. It is like, you know, it, when you tour in Europe, you have to take ferries and I have to like go down to the bottom of the boat and like put a sweatshirt over my head and like sing Christmas that, carols to myself. <laughs> that's the worst place to be. That's the tomb. Don't go to the no. bottom of the boat. <laughs> I can't see. I can't see the ocean. Didn't you see Titanic? <laughs> Those people in the basement didn't make it. (laughs) Why would someone who's afraid of boats watch Titanic? Yeah. (laughs) That's a horror movie show. All right. Well, we are we are covering a lot of ground today. Um all right. Well, let's let's shift gears a little bit here in Jed Talk. Eliza, what is uh, the most unexpectedly, and take this any way you want, unexpectedly great show you've ever been a part of? This could either be a backhanded compliment or any way you want. The unexpected great show I've ever been a part of. Oh, um, I've been part of so many shows. But which ones (laughs) you had the lowest expectations for? (laughs) Which ones did I have the lowest expectations for? Um, I mean, probably... Like when I was growing up, we would go to these bluegrass festivals to teach these fiddler workshops. And sometimes you would just be like, you know, like playing all around the chicken kitchen, cock-a-doodle-doodle-doo. And then there'd just be some like miraculous shredder in the bunch. And it would be like totally like you'd be transported to like another universe. I feel like those would, that would be the situation of my lowest expectation highest like my mind has been blown reward yeah (laughs) when i mean and and, uh, side digression here when you hear a phrase like when i was traveling around at bluegrass festivals teaching fiddling (laughs) you feel like your life hasn't really been lived if you haven't been a part of that (laughs) uh moving on here in chat talk the internet from five years ago is reporting that bush the band is back and here to stay and fans have unanimously chosen glycerine as the song they want to see most live if kate bush did a comeback show right now and you could request one song of hers what would it be i'm gonna go with hello earth because i have no idea how she would pull it off but it she would pull it off and it would be its own journey it would be amazing it would be incredible Mm. she would Mm. need a whole choir it would be amazing Mm. And finally, here on Ched Talk, you're a very, very talented, very multifaceted. You've got a lot of different, different things you you have worked on and done and accomplished. Finish this sentence. In 2022, I will finally set aside time to blank. 
Well, the first, in 2022, I will finally set aside time to make a garment, which has been on my to-do list for four years. You know, like every year you make your like, this is the year I'm going to. <laughs> make sourdough bread. Yeah. That was 2022 I, or 2020. I gotta, I gotta make a garment. I gotta, I gotta get it together. <laughs> and that I'm gonna look. I think you just won Ched Talk. Ladies and gentlemen, Eliza Hardy-Jones here <laughs> has won Ched Talk here on the Real Wolf Record Club. And that's Ched Talk. We're going to take a quick break and come right back to talk about Hounds of Love by Kate Bush with our friend Eliza Hardy-Jones. This is the Real Wolf Record Club. Welcome back to the Real Wolf Record Club. We just finished Ched Talk with our good friend Eliza Hardy-Jones, and we are here to dive into that influential, uh, iconic, I know I'm using that word again, iconic album by Kate Bush, Hounds of Love. And and I want to turn to Hannah and Ben, our panel, again, our good friend Ryan had a baby boy this last week, so he's not with us. So our panel is Hannah and Ben. Uh, I posed an icebreaker. Uh, I posed a bit of a question to our friend Eliza during Ched Talk. When I asked her about a show, any show that was unexpectedly good, and and I'm I'm gonna switch it up a little bit and post it to the panel. Uh, what's an? Uh, I'm curious. What's an album or a band that you have had the chance to dig into, and and it might be something you got into a long time ago or just recently, but an album or a band that is unexpectedly good to you, and I, and I'll give you to help phrase my crappy question. Uh, for me, it's it's uh, Hank Snow. The album I've Been Everywhere, which if you were to flip through my record collection, which during the pandemic has grown too much, um, I, I, there's nothing like that. I'm not into country western. I, I don't dislike it. I just don't seek it out. I don't listen to it. Um, and if you set aside all the cultural appropriation-ish type references on that album from a 60-year-old Canadian country western singer or 60-year-old album, uh, it, it's something that I have put on and put on and put on to the point where I would sing it to my now deceased cat because he would keep us up all night as the lyrics go. Um, it, it's just something that I never thought I would say I love a Hank Snow album, but I absolutely love that album. So Hannah, Ben, what's an album or a band that is unexpectedly good in your opinion? I don't know if I would necessarily for this say unexpectedly good, um, but this is something that I didn't expect to come back to and end up liking as much. Now, this was a while ago. The club had listened to Liz Fair together, um, Exile in Guyville. And we all listened to it and, you know, talked about it. And I was like, yeah, this is a pretty good album. But I was like, eh, it's not like my favorite or anything like that. Um, it was good. And, um, like, you know, I could appreciate and see where it's coming from. And for some reason, like, months and months later I decided to listen to it again and I don't really know why and it was like just having that space away from it and listening to it again like hooked me and I was like you know I'm like I think I love this album now <laughs> and it was just so like I don't know what compelled me to listen to it again but all of a sudden I was like yeah no this album is so good I can't get enough of it and I was listening to it over and over and over um, and it was just surprising to me because it just came out of nowhere, but it ended up being something that I was like, yeah, this is pretty good to something that I was like. She said it just like that too. 
<laughs> she said it just like no that's the the real wolf record club boomerang effect the seed got planted give it uh you know six or eight months and this I had to grow this... some roots into my brain over time and it i've actually heard that though in. that our that our show you hear it once and you completely ignore it for six months and then you will come back to it and you'll enjoy it so <laughs> fingers crossed folks uh ben an album or a band that is unexpectedly good yeah so joe on, on the break had had been talking about me having two children under the age of five so there's this album and it's called the encanto soundtrack <laughs> no that's joe that's not where i'm gonna go with this but it is something that has completely consumed my mind for the past well since december 24th uh no but in, in all seriousness i'm gonna take this the answer to this question in a little bit different direction and i'm gonna go with the album that would would lead you to believe that this guy has unexpectedly good taste uh, as you're flipping through my albums, and that's going to be Miles Davis, Kind of Blue. And it's because as you flip through, you'll be like, millennial, rock fan, rock fan, has parents who listen to classic rock, and you'd be flipping through all these albums, and then you'd get to Miles Davis, and you'd be like, what? <laughs> He's deep. Maybe he has a little bit more depth than than what uh, his album collection would indicate. But um, I, I really do uh, enjoy that album. It's one of those where I can I can put it on, and I, I, I am a recovering lawyer, so I went through the my law school paces of studying until all hours of the night, and that was the album that would just get spun and respun and respun because it, it, it's something that you could just – let it consume you. You can be engaged in something. Somehow feel creative while reading uh, cases from 100 years ago. But um, that that's kind of like my, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm more, than, more than the rock guy. <laughs> Incidentally, um, I had the mispleasure of studying for the bar with Ben, and this is the reason why I hate Miles Davis. Uh, that's a joke. That's a joke. Um, no. But but it is true. There's there's some of those albums that grab you in a way you don't expect. You don't expect on paper. Uh, you know, we talked at the start about reading things online and different people's interpretations, and that's helpful. Maybe um, it's like reading Pitchfork and deciding what you're going to read and listen to next. Um, can be helpful, might steer you in a direction, but it's not the same as just deciding, putting it to your ear and deciding. Um, so I'm always curious to know, especially as we dig into an album that I've already told you is, I think, influential. A lot of people have talked about it, and certainly our guest has a special connection uh, to this album. So with that, let's let's talk Kate Bush. Let's get into Kate Bush. Let's talk about Hounds of Love. Um, the, it's the food principle. It's no fun to say things you don't like or things that you ignore. It's fun to say what you did like. And we always start this by talking about the favorite song on this album. And there's a lot of different ways to go. There's a lot of different ways you could turn on this. So I'm so curious. Eliza, you picked this album to talk about. Um, you've described it as a gateway to Kate Bush, which was a gateway to pop and popular music. What is your favorite song on this album by Kate Bush? I'm going to cheat because this album is two albums. <laughs> yes. Side one. When I won B. This, yeah. Side one is Hounds of Love, the sweet Hounds of Love. And side A, Hounds of Love. Side B is the ninth wave. So off of side A, 
it changes constantly. But I will just tell you, my first favorite song is Hounds of Love. Mm. The, the titular track, I think, is just like, you're flying. That thing is on, your feet never touch the ground. Just absolute perfection. Side B, again, changes all the time. But currently, I think Hello Earth is my favorite Ninth Wave song. Mm. But, uh, but like two days ago, it was the jig of life. So, and and that's do? but that's what this album. That's it's funny you say that because I was thinking about this. That's what this album may be. Um, you know, my answer right now would be Big Sky or the Big Sky off of Side One. And it's it just I'm a sucker for that long chorus at the end. I'm like, yeah, I like that. Yeah. I like the back. I can hear the backup singers. Um, yeah. But depending on mood, depending on feel, depending on the you know if you spent you know, 20 minutes learning about other aspects of the album or looking at the lyrics or whatever it might be, mm-hmm. it could definitely change. I didn't know that Eliza was going to hijack the process and tell me I had to pick a side B. Um, <laughs> so I'll go with it. And I'll say the morning fog, I think, is just beautiful. It's a beautiful Ooh. cap to the end. It just ends the album perfectly. Um, Hannah, your favorite. And now you now know you're on notice. you got to do side A, side B of Hounds of Love. I don't want to do that. See, I am in Eliza's camp where like I have a hard time committing to a favorite because like my favorite will change based on like the weather and the time of year, just the way I felt. She's very mercurial. Very. Um I wanted to like sound cool and pick something like Hello Earth, but I would be just totally denying my truth. Um, because my favorite was running up that hill, especially after I watched the music video for that song. It's like when I watched it, I was like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> like, it It's was a perfect song. So, it was so obvious that like, I was like, oh, I am like dealing with more than just like a pop singer here. Like it's like straight up, like performance dancing like a beautiful like expression of like the song um and I started like at first I was kind of like what is what is this and then I (laughs) watched it like four times in a row I was like well let's see that again (laughs) um so yeah what is this for me why is it just tunneling into my soul Right. Why can I never let this go? Yeah. <laughs> she, one more time. Yeah. She, I mean, she has such an, and I, it sounds like a lame way to describe it, but she has a very indulgent voice in that she will, she knows the range that she can go. And I'm going to say deal with God. And the way she says God, I'm like, oh my God, I don't know how you're saying it, but it sounds so heavy and powerful. And I, there's something about the way she uses her voice um, that I just absolutely love so um hannah skips side b got it uh ben i know you have a side a side b every episode this is another easter egg to go look through is ben always has a 1a 1b 1c 1d because he refuses to choose so ben you've been put on notice side a side b of hans of love what are your favorites i don't even have to be a conscientious objector this time joe i can just (laughs) say my 1a and 1b because i did have that problem it was like these are two albums so i should be able to pick two songs Thank you, Eliza. Yeah. So I'm going to start with side B because I'm that's where my favorite song overall came from. And that's Watching You Without Me. And I can't, I can't describe necessarily why it's my favorite. 
but I know that this is a podcast and it's an audio podcast, so I better get to work. But I think it's because it reminded me of like a Peter Gabriel or Genesis song, and it just had that that vibe, and it just scratched an itch for me. And I could just feel that, and I, I've listened to Peter Gabriel and Genesis in my youth, and it just brought me there, and I was like, I did not expect this whatsoever. But it had that same feel because there's – and I don't I don't know how to describe it. Just listen to the song. It's, it's a it's beautiful song. Yeah. It is, and it has – a lot of mood and feeling and worldliness, I guess, is a way I would describe it because it just blends a lot of different sounds that you wouldn't expect from a quote-unquote pop album. But then getting back to the A-side, I'm going to go with The Big Sky. And it it just felt like it, w- it belonged in 1985, but it also had... It's a dance song, man. It, it you, you can dance to this song and... I just love kind of that chanting and it's almost like this tribal sound to it. And it just really, I mean, this is a fireside song. It should be on my fireside playlist, Joe. Ooh, <laughs> already getting a playlist. Oh, Eliza. Oh boy, you're poking the bear here. Uh, ben and his playlist. We will get to that on the episode for sure. Um, but, but what I love about the favorite song question is it leads into our favorite moment section, which is always about... Um, Sometimes it's about a song, sometimes it's about an entire album, and sometimes it's about a singular part, a singular part that just hooks into your brain and you're like, I love this. I listen to the rest of the crap in this song for this one part. Or maybe it's all beautiful and you wait for that peak. Whatever it is, there's a favorite moment on an album, and there might be many. We've had guests before who have said, I can't pick one. Well, pick one. Favorite moment of the album. Hannah, what is your favorite moment on the album i think my favorite moment is in hounds of love i feel like you really start to see kate like unleash the ability and theatrics in her vocals with the throwing her shoes in the lake <laughs> i love that part <laughs> and, um, and she's barking as a background she's like oh it's like what is happening she's barking (laughs) it was one of those things where i'm like i love singing along with this part (laughs) (laughs) well but you can't sing the lyric throw my shoes into the lake in any way but the way she sings that right throw your shoes in a lake (laughs) throw my shoes in a lake it just doesn't work (laughs) um so i just really thought like I mean, at that point, you're really seeing like, whoa, like this lady is really experimenting like with what her range and vocals can do. And this one in particular uh, was my favorite moment because I really enjoy singing along with it. <laughs> why, why do I feel like the next time I get drunk on a boat, I'm going to be down a pair of shoes? <laughs> <laughs> in the leg says Kate Bush (laughs) (laughs) well and for those of you who are lucky enough during this pandemic to have uh, stable employment that allows you to work from home and and maybe you're lucky enough to have a co-worker who you're also married to I can tell you um, Hannah really likes singing to this song so uh, (laughs) uh, Ben what was your favorite moment on this album there is absolutely no question for me what my favorite moment of this album is, hands down. And I thought it was maybe a violin, but it's a cello. 
I, I did some research. When the cello comes in on Under Ice, that was 100% my oh shit moment of this album. Where I was like, okay, I get it, synth pop, kind of prog rock, 80s album. And then I was like, this is not that anymore, and mm. I'm scared. <laughs> but it went from that, it made that very stark transition from being a musical album to a musical experience. Mm. And it just totally hit me different and it brings you i think really into that ninth wave experience and it does also tie into this episode's playlist but i'll pause that for now and pause let it, it for sit. Now. um uh, yeah i mean there's and that's the thing there are a lot of moments in an album that is intended as and i don't want to say high art in the sense that it's snobby or anything it's it's intended to draw your attention and look closely and look again and one of the things uh for me is i there were several moments hannah, hannah talked about hansa love i absolutely love that part um cloud busting the that there's a lot on that song and when you look up how, why what she wrote that song about it's really like gosh you're such an interesting person um for me it's and eliza you're the the musician here i'm gonna need your assistance on this the last song on the entire body of work called the morning fog is that a mandolin I'm hearing? It's a stringed instrument. What is it? Do you know? I mean, if you had to guess, it's some stringed oh, instrument and it's beautiful. And it just makes me think of, and we'll talk a little bit about this. And maybe this would have been a good segue later on to something else. But it it it's just so pretty after a second mini concept album as the ninth wave is known, that's pretty dark and, and scary and, and um, foreboding. There's this beautiful, beautiful instrument, and it does sound like you're coming through the morning fog into the sunlight, and it just, it's, it's beautiful. I love it, and that's that's one of my favorite moments in the entire album. Um, Eliza, what about you? Favorite moment on this album that you? My, I mean, let me tell you about my favorite moments from each of your favorite songs, and then from the whole. I could go on, <laughs> like, I could go on and on forever about how many how many moments are in this album where like, I literally want to like shout from like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> but I would say my favorite moment is that Kate Bush is having her moment. And it mm. is so Kate Bush, she's like a teenager when she gets signed, everyone's trying to like push her into a direction and they're trying to market her and they're trying to do this whole thing. And she is just so amazing and powerful and sure of herself and always fighting that. And right before this album came out, she gave an interview where she said, everybody's trying to sell me as a female body. Mm. And I'm trying to prove to you that I'm an artist who lives in a female body. Mm. And I feel like this whole album is her thesis on that. It's an album that is so thoroughly about the experience of womanhood, but in the, in the huge thing that that means like the pop music and pop culture in general think about like well, the experience of womanhood is like falling in love with a dude and having a baby and being a mom and that's the entire like your biological imperative is the only thing that we allow women to exist as and this album is about loneliness and alienation and like half of the ninth wave is literally her looking down at her own body that sense of like being on the outside and running up that hill is about swapping bodies, right? So it's this idea of like, what must it have been like for this young woman 
to be so full of these incredible ideas and have everybody be like, you're such a hot girl. Mm. And just like the, the true maddening nature that that would have, like, I just think it would have driven a person insane. But instead, she just made this epic, gorgeous, genius piece of art. And every moment in it is just like, Amazing. But if I had to pick a moment, <laughs> and you do. it is in Check of Life. It's like there's like the crazy, like cool little like Irish reel that happens. And then she sort of whispers and you have to listen to it in headphones. But she goes, I put this moment here. I put this moment here. And then she says it a third time. And her brother's voice is like in staring. It's like over here, over here. And then she's like, let me live. And there's like a crazy jig that happens. But just that like whisper, like she's whispering it to you. Like, I put this moment here for you. Like, it's so intimate. And mm. it's this break from this like literal scene of terror and alienation from your body and from the world around you and the murder that you have created <laughs> mm -hmm. like screaming right. murder um i just think like that little moment is just every time i like get chills yeah it it's so and i i i come to that because i hear what you're talking about there's so many of those little those little points where you could put in this album of i think it dumbs it down to call it very theme thematic a lot of themes and things that emotions and feelings that are coming through and i think there'd be a tendency to think it can be a very cold album but to your point, I mean, if you listen in headphones, you're hearing her voice in your ear like she's right there. And it's actually, it's almost welcoming. Like I'm drawing you into this experience because I want you to share in it so that we can grow. And I think that's just, I was talking to Hannah about this. Uh, all of the interviews, she's not the, you know, as the world would, ex you know, maybe expect unfairly that she's not this oh, she's just an angry, you know, young, you know, a female artist or something like that. It's, no, she's, she's very engaging and she's open about what she's trying to do with the song and what she's trying to do with an album. And to your point, she's got some great quotes about being an artist and not just a female artist and things like that. And I, I just, I love that part because it draws people into the conversation and the experience that she's trying to create. Um, especially when it's Kate Bush whispering in your ear in headphones. That's just who does that who does that this album a lot of great moments but i think we've isolated a few but let's not delay the inevitable we knew it was coming eliza didn't know it was coming um but ben <laughs> our friend ben uh you know him he he mastered he's a former wedding dj recovering lawyer so his brain is beyond repair uh he he provides us with fantastic fantastic playlists and you can find them all at realwolfrecordclub.com you can also find them on spotify uh the real wolf record club put it on a playlist so ben kate bush hounds of love put it on a playlist for us joe you have me nailed. <laughs> I have a scrambled egg brain that is just swimming and swirling with songs that need to be collected into a themed, hyper-specific playlist. And we have another one of those today, and it is called <laughs> The Haunting of the Real Wolf Record Club. 
featuring so dumb <laughs> Kate Bush under ice. Terrifying. Eliza mentioned earlier she's scared of boats. I have to imagine she's also scared of water. How about being in a boat that gets capsized and then you go into the water and then you go under the water and then you're sealed in? That's terror. I think you've just guaranteed Eliza will never come back to the show because (laughs) you described mortality in a nutshell. Um, Carry on. (laughs) That is the first two songs of the ninth wave. We have have reached the listener at the point of being sealed under the water. Um, It has to be uh, Eliza's nightmare. But in addition to Kate Bush under ice, we also have Tool. What? What? Where are we going here? So, Tool Parable, which is the in- intro to Parabola, has the same kind of haunting, moody sound to it. And then we're going to go right to Hozier. It will come back. Again, it has kind of this same kind of creepy, haunting, driving um, sound to it. And then finally, I'm gonna belay, or I'm going to uh, betray some of my rock inclinations, and we're gonna go with Queens of the Stone Age, the Vampire of Time and Memory. Just a a great, similarly kind of moody song that that really kind of drives towards this um, climax in in the story, and so that that's where we're going. But I know, listener, you're saying. What if this conjures up some type of malevolent spirits? Who are you going to call? Don't worry. Playlist has got you covered. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I'm going to get, we're going to get emails saying, boy, I hope we didn't conjure up a ghost or two. Um, that was put it on a playlist with Ben. The This episode is The Haunting of the Real Wolf Record Club. You can go to www.realwolfrecordclub.com. Why did I say www? They know. Um, get the All playlist. the you can All get of the, them. You can get the playlist there. You can follow us on Spotify, uh, and you can find out um, and see just how strange our friend Ben's brain has gotten with all of our playlists from each of our episodes. Um, but be- before we turn to our rating, um, I wanted to follow kind of the theme of this episode. And... Uh, you know, obviously we've gone through some of the dance parts of the early, some of the pop inclinations of the first half of this album, and then turn to the, the as they call it, a mini concept album, the ninth wave, and some of the themes of alienation, isolation, terror. Um, but it's also not entirely dark, that second half. And so let's turn now to the word nerd and see what she has for us. Word nerd, what did you pull out of this album, Kate Bush, Hounds of Love? selected some uh, lyrics from The Morning Fog. I am falling like a stone, like a storm, being born again into the sweet morning fog. Do you know what? I love you better now. Um, So this is the uh, closer of the ninth wave. And fans have long argued about whether or not the woman, the character in the ninth wave um, lives or dives. I believe Kate says, you don't know, she, she lives, but it's her album. So there you go. But I feel like a lot of fans have been like, no, we think she dies, but she's recognizing that she's going to survive or has survived 
um, and has come out through all the scrapes and hard moments of the songs and coming out on the other side, believing that, you know, she deserves and can accept the love that's maybe been trying to enter into her life. And there's gratitude and appreciation and recognizing that you have received um, and are now accepting that love, whether it's, you know, romantic love or just love for the people in your life. Um, and, you know, it, it's hard to choose Kate Bush lyrics because I mean, they're fantastic and a plenty, but just capping off the entire, you know, opus of this album, I guess, uh, this just seemed like an appropriate choice. Mm. The Hounds of Love. Finding, find they. I mean, you go back to the title track, and he talks about. I love that lyric about you know the little fox and feeling its heartbeat, and the fox. I think it's probably yeah. love generally. And then you go back to the end, and and it's this 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 feeling. This and I, I musically, I heard that song. I was like, gosh, this is that calm. This is the part where after the boat has capsized, and it's finally morning, and you mm -hmm. don't need the little light to have people see you and be able to find you, and you're floating. And you mm -hmm. can maybe start to see, feel the warmth and you, you think I'm going to survive and love can enter and, oh, yeah, I'm with you. I, for me, that's that capping after the haunting of the real wolf record club, uh, the cap, the cap is maybe, is maybe a bit of hope. And that's maybe for me, one of the things that I absolutely love about this album is that hope that still weaves through whatever it might be. Um, that was the word nerd here on the real wolf record club. So with every album, we try to cover the high points. We try to cover the things we like, the favorite moments. We try to pull out some interesting details. Um, and, and we ultimately give it, we ultimately give it a ranking. I don't know if it's, it's matters. I don't know if our opinions matter or not. Uh, it, it's, it's art you bring to it and you take something away uh, depending on the person but but we give it a ranking to help you the listener decide we're all record collectors do you need to collect this record what do you want to do with this record do you bury it is it something you say ah get rid of it it's not something i'm going to come back to do you borrow it literally we did this one time i went to a garage sale and i found a record collector carry case and i was like i am so hipster and i had my little hipster and I put stickers on it because that's what, you know, that's what you should do. Um, and I loaded up records and we brought it over to Ben's house and we listened to like. That blue one? Yeah. It's... <laughs> do we still have that? And we don't still have it because it oh. wasn't that. It's not. I mean, come on. You're not going to carry around records, hipster. Just plug we in the bows. We did that one time. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then I had to buy a red one because Ben had Joe made me one. look like it wasn't cool anymore. Yeah. So, but, but would you borrow it? Would you say, hey, you've got that record. Can you put it in your red case and bring it over and I'll borrow it? Uh, or would you buy it? Would you buy it? Would you, do you need to possess this art piece and own it forever or are you going to wear this piece out so much that you need a second one to rock one to stock buy it again that's our rating system and and let's let's give this let's give our listeners this album's ranking i'm going to go with and say i'm a solid buy it this is something that i feel like there's a capitalist overtone here but i need to possess this i need to own it it must be mine <laughs> And I'm not going to pay the German uh, bootleg repress fees on Discogs, but I will find it. I will someday find this album to purchase because it's out there and it's very expensive, but I will find it. Um, Eliza, where are you at on this album? What ranking do you give it? Bury it? 
borrow it, buy it, or buy it again. Listen, <laughs> my love for this album, your system doesn't even measure it. <laughs> I want to I wanna live it. I want it to be in my body at all times. I want to be like, like lost in the woods and just start like flying like to cloud busting, just like singing about yo-yos and the government. Like I, I, it's in me. It's in me. I can't buy it. It's already in me. So I think we should. What you're, what I'm hearing you say is, um, number one, you want to throw your shoes into the lake, and number oh, two, yeah. <laughs> you want to bury it, borrow it, buy it, buy it again, or. Be it. Be it. Be it. Be it. Be it. I am it. I knew Eliza Hardy Jones was going to break the scale, and she did. <laughs> Eliza Hardy Jones' ranking breaker. is be it. Uh, ben, Ben, what is your ranking here? Oh, this is great. Eliza, well, I got to thank you for two things. One, I got to thank you for breaking the rating scale because I'm going to go ahead and insert my own breaking of the rating scale. But um, secondarily, I want to th- I want to thank you for proving the genesis of the Real Wolf Record Club. So for those of you listeners that haven't already heard the story, this is a pandemic pastime that a bunch of friends got together and said, hey, there's lots of good albums out there. We should talk about them and we should kind of randomly select them and listen to them and talk about them to listen to new music that we haven't heard before. And this is 100% what this album was for me. And I am so appreciative of being able to expand my musical horizons into an album that I absolutely would not have listened to but for Eliza picking it. And I have to say that I, I really, truly enjoyed it. And in, I think I talked about it before. It's this like musical journey or musical experience. It is 100% that. And it is meant to be, as Eliza said and Joe said, earlier in the episode it is meant to be listened from track one to track 12 <laughs> all the way through don't shuffle this thing you'll be confused no shuffling. and with all of that being said i really enjoyed this album i'm gonna say this is a buy it used for me if that was even possible <laughs> but it's something i really would want to buy but to, to full disclosure to the listeners my vinyl collection is still in its early stages I have what I feel like is a, a respectable amount of of albums, but not enough yet. And this is something that I would love to have kind of a casual music listener over and then just flip it right to the B-side, Ninth Wave, and just sit back and watch. Because <laughs> it would be such an interesting experience to see someone else experience what I experienced of saying, yeah, this is an 80s pop album. Like, it's it's an 80s kind of, ooh, I, this is interesting. And then, whoa, <laughs> where am I right now? <laughs> and that's, it, that's the whole experience of this album. So if you haven't already listened, this is what we recommend is you see the episode coming out. Don't listen at first. Listen to the album first. Then come listen to this. What we have to say, but, but also, but also opinion. listen to the episode too. But also listen to it, so. and ah, share, it, like, and subscribe it. Yeah, <laughs> do all the things. But man, give this album a chance. It might be something that you end up saying, "I'm going to be it," or you might just say, "If I can find it, I'm going to buy it." Mm. So I'm going to buy it used if I can find it. Uh, Hannah, you get the last word uh, on Kate Bush, Hounds of Love. How do you rank this? 
I'm a little obsessed with Kate Bush now after listening to this. Um, today, I am a solid buy it. Um, this album is so cool and so exciting. And I really enjoyed listening to it. Waking the Witch scared the pants off me. <laughs> <laughs> My God. I started. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't do that. Goosebumps like. It's nighttime. Off my arms down my legs. And I'm like, I'm going to keep listening, but the song is just freaking me out. I can't listen to that song at night. <laughs> Speaking of playlists, that was always the first song on my workout playlist. So I'd like, get on the treadmill. Wake up. Wake up. <laughs> we now know what motivates Running. Eliza Hardy Jones. Fear. Utter Red terror. Red <laughs> yeah. oh, oh, It was like... I was usually listening about... to that song in the morning in the car. So I felt like I was, I was pretty confident I was safe. It's just that song though is like about how men fear women's power. And it's like the terror of like what women represent. Oh my God. I love it. Yes. Uh, it's a good them. song, but it's scary song. <laughs> but it's I mean, but I mean, that's, that's, that's where I mean, we should, we, we can talk all day about like the terror part of it, but we've also covered like where the songs have started and where they've ended up. And, and I think, I think that's uh, not to get too soft or, or, um, melodramatic here, but an album that can make you feel whether it be hope or terror or, or lightness or to want to dance or whatever it might be. That's, that's an album. That's just raw power that's energy and that's what i think kate bush has brought here is to your point eliza along you know earlier in the episode you talked about this is somebody who was unapologetic for who she was and the art that she was bringing into the world and i think that is something wherever you come at it whether you enjoy this album musically or whether you respect the art i you look at that and that is inspiring it is inspiring to say this is somebody who created something that they will not apologize for. They won't explain why they threw a song like Waking the Witch on there because it wasn't for you. It was it was an, a piece that needed to be brought into the world, and here it, it is. <laughs> it was for Eliza and only Eliza. <laughs> Again, Miss Bush, if you're listening, uh, Eliza Hardy-Jones would make a wonderful, wonderful tour mate. Um, but, but I think it's an enduring pop classic i mean i called it synth pop earlier but it's really a pop classic it's got deep deep literary roots it's got deep emotional themes it's it's created by i think one of music's most influential and and frankly unexpectedly influential voices at least for me uh, uh and and those of you who may not know this album or know kate bush please check out check this album out give it a listen you may be surprised because i know i certainly was Hounds of Love by Kate Bush here on the Real Wolf Record Club. We want to thank our guest, Eliza Hardy-Jones. Eliza, um, we're going to play off some music, I think, but where can uh, fans who have listened to this show and said, wow, Eliza Hardy-Jones, she makes quilts, she plays in bands, um, she has a very specific fear that I of water that I can also identify with. I want to follow boats. her work. Boats. Uh, where can they follow uh, you and all your adventures? Um, I have a website, elizahardyjones.com. I am on, you know, all of the music platforms. I have 
a new album that will come out this year. So keep your ears and eyes peeled for that. That'll be out sometime when things happen. When it happens. <laughs> Soon. It's done. When it comes I out, it'll it. be out. Yeah, and, I and heard the... it. It's cool. <laughs> and the website is the best place to track you on that and find that. Yeah, that or Instagram. I'm not I'm not so much on the Twitters. But yeah. yeah. I'm also stronger on the gram. Yeah, stronger on the gram. Yeah. Uh, but also probably don't follow me because you're just gonna see pictures of like turtles and quilts. <laughs> and, you know. Cacti recently. Yeah, a lot of cacti. But those I were like good. Hiking, I like those. So yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Eliza, it's been such a pleasure to have you here and here, and that's such great news to hear new music coming from uh, you this later this year, hopefully soon. Um, Eliza is on tour with the War on Drugs, I believe, all over Europe, and then probably back across the United States. And she is a very busy, talented, talented person, and we're so happy to have her here on the Real Wolf Record Club. That is it for this episode. Please, please join us in the conversation on social media, Instagram, Twitter, and our website. This has been the Real Wolf Record Club. You love me like a dream. This has been the Real Wolf Record Club podcast. The Real Wolf Record Club is a production of Real Wolf Productions, LLC, a limited liability company. The show is produced today by Ben Head. Our panelists were Ryan McKinnis, Hannah Vantomi, and I'm your host, Joe Vantomi. Follow us and join the club on Instagram at Real Wolf Record Club. On Twitter at Real Wolf RC. Go to our website to find links to the episodes, upcoming news and information, as well as a link to buy merch from our very own Ward Sutton at www.realwolfrecordclub.com. You're listening to the song I Watch You Fall from the multi-talented Eliza Hardy Jones' album Because Become. Join us next episode when we discuss the legendary 1971 album Sticky Fingers by the Rolling Stones. Disappointed